Hey, for everybody who's tuning in today, we'd love to extend a massive welcome to you. I don't know what your 2020 has been like so far. I know for many it's been a challenge, but we've got one month left. That's right, one month left to 2020. And I'm believing, as it says in Psalm 65, that God's going to crown the year with His favour with His favour. Maybe you started off believing this year that God's going to do something great. And up to this point, it's just been hard. I like what it says in Psalm 65, He's going to crown the year with His favour and even the hard pathways are going to drip with abundance. So from now to the end of the year, I'm believing for answered prayer. I'm believing for breakthrough. I'm believing for those things that are being withheld to come to pass. I wonder whether you could believe that with me. Well, right now we're in the middle of a series called By Faith, By Faith. And we're gonna look today at the two things that caused Jesus to marvel. Now, there wasn't much that amazed Jesus. After all, He was there when the earth was spoken into being. He was there when the stars were flung into space. He he was there right from the beginning of times. But two times when He walked the face of this earth, He was amazed and he marveled. Now, now, amazing. People often use that word quite often today. Oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. That's that's awesome. And sometimes, because we overuse a word, it loses its impact. The the overuse diminishes, you know, the meaning of that word. It's like the word literally. People say that all the time. Literally, you know, I'm so full. I'm literally going to explode. Uh, There's no way that somebody would literally explode over eating too much. Imagine that, Christmas afternoon, just had a big Christmas lunch and somebody ate so much that they literally exploded. Blood and guts everywhere, all over the room because they ate too much. You know, it literally means actual fact. It's not figurative, but we use that word literally all the time and it loses its impact and and it loses its meaning. Uh, some people today, you know, when it comes to just eating their lunch, you know, oh, these sandwiches are amazing. It's amazing how much emotion today goes into food. Yes, food is good. It's a source. It gives us energy, gives us strength. But we use, oh, that's amazing. That, that, that's incredible. And, and then when we apply it to other things, it's all, almost like, you know, amazing grace, amazing sandwiches. Uh, yeah, it's like they're a little bit different. But here in the Bible, we see that there was two times that, that Jesus was amazed. Now, a lot of time, others marveled at what Jesus did. You know, take the widow of Nain, funeral procession. She had already lost her husband now. Her boy was dead and, and she was about to go and bury him. But Jesus comes across this funeral procession and this boy gets up out of the coffin. He was dead and in a moment he was alive and people marveled, people were amazed. The disciples out on the boat, wind, waves, massive storm going on. Jesus calms the storm and and they marveled and they were amazed. Lepers being healed, blind people seen. Uh, People who are oppressed by demonic spirits set free. People were often amazed at who Jesus was and they were amazed at what He did. But there were two times that Jesus marveled. 
and Jesus was amazed. So we're gonna look at that today. If you've got your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter eight. I'm gonna be reading from verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard it, He marvelled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. In this verse, we see that Jesus marvelled at a centurion's great faith. Great faith. Jesus smiled. And and what Jesus is saying here, He's saying, man, this is amazing. This guy gets it more than those who should get it. Because the person He was talking about here was a Roman centurion. He He was a Gentile, not a Jew. In today's context, he was an outsider, not an insider. He, he wasn't a Christian or a churchgoer. And Jesus was smiling at this man's great faith because he was putting those on the inside, those who have been around for a long time, to shame. How many know there's nothing more provoking than a newbie coming in and shaking it up? You know, a new person joins your workplace. And, you know, they start doing stuff that hasn't been done before. And everybody who's been around for a long time gets a little bit insecure, a little bit intimidated. Because they're accessing something that, that's been around for a long time, but they're overlooked or, or they haven't stepped into it. You know, a lot of us today, we have mobile phones and our phones have incredible capacity but a very few of us are actually you know, operating our phones at the capacity that they're designed for. And here the Jews, they, they thought they had this religious deal on lock. So much so that they had even locked out the Gentiles out of their system. And you would have thought by now, you know, the Jews who, who for generation had known God, had seen God move, had seen God part the Red Sea, had seen God provide for them in the wilderness, had seen God deliver cities, the promised land to them. You know, by now you, you thought, man, they would have got this faith deal down. It's like, I got it down. But Jesus points out a non-Jew and He says, this is amazing, this is incredible. This guy over here, he has great faith. In fact, his faith is greater than anything in Israel right now. That meant that the faith he displayed was greater than Peter walking on water. It was greater than the disciples dropping their nets and and following Jesus. So the question we're gonna ask today is, how was the centurion's faith great? What made it great? Well, we know from the Bible that his, his servant was sick. Some commentators would say it was his son. And, and, and he went to Jesus and Jesus heard of the situation and says, I'll come over to your house. Now, th- that was a big thing because Jews weren't meant to go to Gentiles' house. Otherwise, they'll become unclean. And Jesus said, I'll come over. But we pick it up in verse eight. It says, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Take note of that. Just Say the word and my servant will be healed. For myself, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, what was the centurion saying? Oh, well, you just need to say a word, Jesus, because I'm a person under authority, and I understand 
how authority works. Today, I wanna suggest to you that the the key to great faith is, is the answer to this question. Whose authority are you under? Now here, the guy understood authority. He understood that Jesus had authority. And he said to him, just say the word. He said, I got people under me and I just say, come and they come, go and they go. And I understand you have spiritual authority and I'm putting my life under you. And all you need to do is you need to say the word and that's it, that's done. And right there, he positioned himself under the authority of the word of Jesus' Word. Uh, The question I wanna ask today is, whose Word carries authority in your life? Whose Word sets the direction of your life? Whose Word governs your emotions? See, many of us, our our lives are under what we read in the newspaper or what we hear on the news. Or, you know, some of us, you know, we've got so much belief in science that we doubt the Word of God. And and we're listening to doctors who've done research papers on on many different things. And yeah, sure, there's some intelligence there, but how many know that doctor, that professor is still not as smart as God? Yeah, they may be at the height of human wisdom, but what we've got to understand is the wisdom of man is still the foolishness of God. And when it comes to faith, we need to position ourselves under the Word of God if we're to have great faith. You know, today many people are looking for their situation and their circumstances and even their senses to confirm their faith. They go, well, if I'm to believe it, I need to hear it, I need to see it, I need to smell it, I need to taste it, I need, I need to touch it if I am to believe. But great faith, which was seen in the centurion's life, just says, uh, you just need to say the word. I, I don't need to see it, taste it, touch it, smell it. I love what St. Augustine said. He, he said this, God doesn't expect us to submit our faith to Him without reason. So He doesn't expect just for you to throw out your mind. God doesn't expect us to submit our faith to Him without reason. But the limits of our reason make faith necessary. Is only so far this can go. And to live is to trust. And we've got to come under the Word of God. Now, I want you to quickly contrast the centurion's faith with that of Thomas, the little faith of Thomas. Uh, some people have called him Doubting Thomas. But, but, you know, I, I think that's a little bit unfair because Thomas, after this incident, went on to do great things in India and, and have an impact on many people. But we know the story. The first time that, that Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't in the room. I, I don't know why he wasn't there, but he wasn't there. Thomas wasn't present. And so the others came back and reported, Jesus is risen. He, he's alive. And Thomas's response was that of unbelief. And in John 20, verse 25, it says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, listen to this, I will not believe. Come on right now, how many of you got friends like Thomas? 
You know, where you tell them a story and they even doubt your story. But even when you put evidence in front of them, they say, oh, I, I still don't know. You can't convince them of anything. In fact, it's a little bit creepy. You know, Thomas said, oh, well, I need to put my fingers in the hole. It wasn't just good enough for him to see Jesus. You know, he was talking about putting the fingers in the holes of his hands and, you know, into his side. That's a little bit creepy right there. Yeah, uh, faith, as we've heard through this series, faith means to be properly persuaded. Properly persuaded. In Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we cannot see. And, and, and here Thomas is saying, I need to see it before I believe it. I, I wonder how many of us right now are saying that. I, I need to sense it. With my, my five senses, I, I need to see it before I'll actually put my trust in it. Great faith says, I believe in the Word of God. I'm going to come under the Word of God. So many believers, you know, they come under the Word, but then things happen and they take themselves out of the Word, out from under and go, well, I'm going to believe what I see around me. No, no, faith is belief in the unseen. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can't see God, but, but you can see Him moving. And right now, I believe God is looking for a people who don't just have average faith, but have great faith. And Jesus in the end said to Thomas, because He shows up and Thomas is there. And Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, what faith is, faith is leaning all your weight against. You know, some of us, we're protecting ourselves and we're going, well, I don't want to put all my weight against that because what, what if it falls over? You know, we can put our weight against many different things. Uh, we can do it, put, put our confidence in how much money's in our bank account. We can put it in our education. We can put it in governments. We can put it in many things. But all those things are like a table with collapsible legs. You ever put stuff on a table with collapsible legs and the legs aren't locked in? You know, it just boom. You know, or you ever been around somebody and you go to sit down on a chair and they move the chair from you? I'm sure many of us had that happen to us at school. And a lot of people are leaning against things that are ultimately going to collapse and it's going to hurt. But faith is putting your weight against a rock, is leaning against a rock. And in this time, I believe God is looking for people to come to Him and say, you can lean on me. You can trust in me. I'm the rock of all ages. See, when there's a contest between other ideas and, and the Word of God, who wins? Who wins in your life? When you have questions and you're searching for direction, where do you go? Do you go to Popular Opinion? Do you go to the Woman's Weekly? Do you go to No Idea? Or do you go to a friend or family member who doesn't know Jesus? It's amazing how many people will take advice when it comes to their future and, 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 and the years ahead from somebody who doesn't even know Jesus. Yeah, instead of getting our vision from the television, let's get our vision from the Word of God. We're not waiting to 2021 to get vision. I believe God wants to speak into people's hearts now. 
not just for the next year, but the years to come. And, and that happens when we put ourselves under the Word of God. Great faith is, is simply saying, Jesus, just say the Word. I pray as Equippers Church would have great faith, would be voice sensitive and would be voice active. We'd open our Bibles and we'd say, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak to me when it comes to my future. But I even need to, I need you to speak to me when it comes to here and now, my today. I'd say, shout happened this year. Shout was incredible. Why? Because we had a word. Exodus 14, 14 and 15. Tell the people to get moving. We moved and God opened a door. Her testimonies just over recent times of the supernatural things that God did at Shout and how churches and families have been forever changed because we just said, you say the word and we're prepared to move. Churches are being planted right now. Why? Because we have confidence in the Word of God. God is building His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Healing is taking place in relationships. Relationships are being restored. People are being set free. Why? Because we're just obeying the Word. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's so many incredible testimonies of of people getting healed. I wanna say, let's not go into 2021 with just good ideas. But let's be a people who lean on His Word because the grass withers and the flower fades, but God's Word stands forever. First time, Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at the great faith of the centurion. Second time, Jesus was amazed or He marveled. We find it in Mark chapter 6. Let's look there. It says, Now He could do no mighty work there, speaking of Jesus, except lay except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled or was amazed because of their unbelief. So the first time he was amazed or marveled was because of great faith. The second time he was amazed, marveled was because of their unbelief. Just quickly today, we're gonna look at three manifestations of unbelief. Many people say, well, I I believe, I believe God for my salvation. But you can believe God for your salvation, but still want to be in a place of unbelief. And the way unbelief manifests itself in our lives is through, through, just quickly, there's more, but three different areas I want to highlight today is number one, through familiarity. Jesus, here, He was limited in the setting because everybody just saw him as a carpenter's son. He was in his hometown. These are the people he had grown up with. And they knew Jesus and, and they saw him do incredible things, but they're going, oh, really? No, nah, that's Jesus. That's, that's Joe's son. That's Joe's son. He, he's just ordinary. And they didn't see that he was actually the son of God. Now we know Jesus to be more than that. We know Him to be the Christ. We know Him to be the Messiah. But at that time, you know, people in His hometown, they were like, oh, I don't know. And they were just familiar. But proof that Jesus was the Christ was that His brothers believed He was the Son of God. Imagine telling your siblings that you're the Messiah. How many would struggle 
getting your siblings to believe that. Well, you would because you're not. Uh, but uh, your siblings will be the most prone to doubt. Uh, it's like, you know, when Joseph shared his dream, what did his brothers do? Shared it with his brothers, they tried to kill him and they ended up selling him to slavery. Uh, Jesus' brothers must have had some doubts growing up, but we know that they came to a place of faith and believed in Him because ultimately they gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, believed He was. You know, to get your brothers and your cousin believing, it has to be real. But the, the, the place that He grew up, they just saw Him as a carpenter's son. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, So from now on, wherever you are, say those words, three words, from now on. So from now on, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And, and here Paul's saying, from this moment, we don't regard people according to their old nature. We don't see things from a worldly point of view. See, the problem with the people in Nazareth is they saw things just from a natural point of view. That's Joseph's son. They didn't see Jesus being the Christ. There was nothing in Jesus' physical appearance that would say He's the Son of God. They had to see beyond that. And I wonder right now, how often we limit God because we're seeing things from a worldly point of view rather than recognising people according to the Spirit. You know, we see people according to their past mistakes. We see even ourselves according to the mess up that we made in the years gone by. But from now on, we regard nobody according to the flesh because the new creation has come. And the old has gone, the new is here. And what unbelief does, it manifests itself in familiarity. It just says, oh, well, I've seen that before. Oh, it's just the same old, same old. Oh, that's just Jesus. Jesus is a good man, had some good teaching. But yeah, there's many great teachers. You know, I wonder how we, we, we just even approach the Bible with familiarity. Oh, it's, a, it's a good book. There's other good books out there. You know, is it really the Word of God or is it just... You know, a whole lot of people putting some thoughts together. Yeah, we even approach Sundays with a level of familiarity. Ah, oh, it doesn't matter if I miss a Sunday. We just sing some songs and hear a talk. Ah, good, but sometimes not as good as TED Talks. Yeah, and, and we can and we just get familiar. Do you know every time we gather together as believers, something supernatural happens because we're opening the Word of God. And when it comes to preaching, God doesn't anoint our good ideas. He anoints His Word. And, and, and when we open the Bible, it's powerful. It's a two-edged sword. It, it, it has the ability to cut between bone and marrow. It has the ability to discern where we are and lift us higher. Well, you know, many people today, well, it's not a big day, a big deal if I miss a day, you know, spending a day praying and reading my Bible. I'm going to heaven. I believe Jesus is my Saviour. It's not a big deal. But what, what are you missing out on? We know the statement, familiarity breeds contempt. 
And familiarity, what it's really saying is, is, is familiarity is when you treat something that should be special as common. I want to say there's nothing common about God's plan and purpose for your life. There's nothing common about God. If you see Jesus or God as common, you'll begin to view your situations and circumstances through a natural lens rather than seeing what God wants to release at any, any point. You know, so many people, because they view everything as common, what they do is they project their, their, their relationships they've experienced at a natural level on God. So if I've been disappointed by my father over here, you know, we project that disappointment where we've been let down on God and we think God may let us down. But God's not like any earthly parent. God will never let you down. God will never fail you. you know, the relationship that we have with God supersedes any other relationship. And we've got to make sure that familiarity doesn't rob us of what God wants to release in our life. And here Jesus, He marveled, He was amazed at their unbelief. Second way that unbelief manifests itself is through double-mindedness. When familiarity sets in, it's easy to be double-minded. How many struggle to make decisions? Just lift your hand. Some of you can't even decide right now whether you're indecisive. It's like, what's up with that? I like how James puts it in James chapter one. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which we all do, <laughs> we all lack wisdom from time, you should ask God who gives generously. That's good news. He gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe. You must believe and not doubt. Because anyone who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from God. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Uh, right now, a lot of people are looking at this situation, the circumstances, and they're trying to determine their future by what's going on on the outside. God is the author of your future. And when it comes to your future, you can be confident because you have access to the wisdom of God. God sees the end from the beginning. And here in this verse, James says, you need to what? Believe and not doubt. How many of us believe? We start in faith, but then we begin to doubt. We believe, doubt, believe, doubt. And we're all over the place. And what that creates is the instability in everything that we do. Now, right now, you and I have access to the wisdom of God. Now, when you take a step of faith, you can be confident in heaven's backing. You can be confident that, that God has the ability to work things out. He sees what next year is gonna look like. And if we put ourselves under the Word of God and just say, God, say the Word, we can ha have confidence that He's gonna ordain our step. And then He's gonna bring some of those things that he, He's put in our heart to pass. See, 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 when you pray to God, expect to receive. Don't doubt, expect. Let's not pray for rain and not take an umbrella. So I pray for rain and, you know, we didn't take our umbrella and then we got soaking wet and then we're mad at God because we're so, oh, I'm soaking wet, I ruined my clothes. But if we're praying for rain, let's make sure that we take our umbrella. Which brings me to the third manifestation of unbelief is, last one is compromise. 
which simply means to settle for less. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews is a a great book in the Bible. Hebrews established that, that Jesus is supreme. The Jews thought Moses was great. Moses was amazing. But they say, Jesus is even better. There's a better covenant. The old, not bad, but new, better, is better. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Beware, brethren, lest any of you, any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living, living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So if we're saying belief, faith is being properly persuaded, what unbelief is, is the unwillingness to be persuaded. How many know some stubborn people? How many can be stubborn from time to time? (laughs) Yeah, and and it's the unbelief. Unbelief is the unwillingness to be persuaded. You know, when, when we look at fear, and there's a lot of fear, anxiety in the world. What fear is, it's belief in the wrong thing. You and I as believers don't need to live with fear because the perfect love of Jesus casts out all fear. And, and, and when we start questioning God's goodness, that's when things go askew. You know, what happens is our heart gets hard and, and it's almost like there's an unwillingness to be persuaded. Unwillingness. Uh, you know, here the writer says, you know, be careful of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. If it wasn't deceptive, we wouldn't sin. You know, sin promises a lot, but it ends up in hurt, disappointment, and separation from God. As the saying goes, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you can pay. Sin has this deceptiveness to it. And we think, well, it's all right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But what happens is, is we get involved in wrong behaviour. It then becomes a pattern. It sears our conscience and our hearts then become Hard. See, at, at the heart of sin is unbelief. When we engage in sin, it, it's doubting the goodness of God. It's saying, God, I need, yeah, I want you, but I need this as well. And that's why, you know, a manifestation of unbelief is just compromise. You know, this whole thing started back in the garden. The, the, the deceitfulness of sin, what it does is it gets you to doubt God's goodness. Oh, did God really say that? Oh, you, you won't surely die. It's all right. See, you'll always swallow a lie before you eat the forbidden fruit. And what we've got to ask ourselves is, are we swallowing a lie? Come on, where, where is the compromise? Where are we doubting the Word of God? Where are we doubting even more God's goodness? Because when we sin, when we sin, what we're doing is we're turning our back on God and we say, hey, we've got this. I know what fulfills me. I know what satisfies me. Uh, what we're saying in the essence is we're saying, God, you are not enough. Yeah, I want you. I want the good part, but, but I also want this. 
What we've got to understand is God has everything that we need. And our plan is flawed. And, and we don't have what we need. What we need is found in Him. You know, many people today, it's like, I know better. Yeah, you know, when we do things our way rather than God's way, it's like, I, I, I've got this. And what unbelief is, is simply distance from God. It's removing God from our lives, from our daily decisions. And we, when we believe, what do we do? We draw close, we engage, we connect. We're, but when there's unbelief, we, we disconnect. We, we remove ourselves. See, if we really believed God loved us, if we really believed in His goodness and His Word, we would not fall into the deceitfulness of sin. God's got a bigger plan. He's got a better plan. In fact, you know, we've been in a fast over recent times, 21 day fast. And I've found it really difficult. People go, oh, well, I can't fast. I'm no good at fasting. I don't know anyone who is. Because fasting is denying self, is denying your fleshly appetites and saying, God, I am more hungry for you than I am for chocolate or for KFC. God, I want you. I need to hear you. It removes the clutter from our life. And uh, I was on a tour just in the last couple of weeks going around the country and there's some good food on offer. There was platters full of sliders and burgers. And man, the temptation was strong to eat a burger. But I had to, no, come on, Sam, exercise self-control. After all, self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, you know, it's amazing in this time, you know, people are fasting, fasting, but they're going, well, I, I only can do that because the other's not convenient. Fasting, I've found, is never convenient. Fasting is always the denial of the flesh and it requires you to engage self-control. We're traveling home from Hamilton one night and you know, again, hungry, 11 o'clock at night, driving past McDonald's. I mean, no, that's a strong temptation. And uh, you know, some of the other guys in the car said, no, 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 no. And it was like, thank God we didn't give in to that temptation. And all this time I felt like God's been building that self-control muscle. And, and, and here's the deal. If you can't control yourself here, over here, the question is, how are you going to control yourself when something deeper or greater is at stake? I, I, I just feel in the spirit right now is there's many temptations coming into the end of the year. You know, the guards go down, you know, a lot of parties going on, different things. There's the opportunity to compromise, live less than what God's called us to. Let's make some decisions to exercise some self-control. Let, let's say, God, you are good. You want me to have a holiday and the best holidays are filled with your presence, it's filled with your purpose. God, you, I want you in every aspect of my life. See, see, walking with Jesus is not about the freedom to do whatever we want. Walking with Jesus releases the power in our lives to do what's right. And there's many things right now that can grab our attention. But how, how about we just determine in our heart, we're going to seek Jesus. See, some of us right now, we're looking for direction. We're looking for vision. Question is, where are you going for that? Because it's only God who has the answers. He's the only one who knows the future. And He's got a great plan and a great destiny for your life. Two things cause Jesus to marvel. Great faith and great unbelief.
I wonder on which side you're going to go. Let's be people where we say, just say the word. Just say the word. God, I'm going to place my confidence in You. I'm going to lean, put my weight, my whole weight on the rock. See, some of us are overwhelmed. But like the psalmist says, God, when my heart's overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that's higher than myself. This is a time where we need to believe and not doubt. Some of you got doubts, all good, but start doubting your doubts rather than the Word of God. Friend, if you're watching, you don't know Jesus. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. Maybe you've never opened your heart to Him. You can receive Him. How you receive God into your life is by faith. It's recognising what Jesus did on the cross when He paid the price of our sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus died in yours and my place. We owe the debt. He paid the price and He did it so that we might know Him, that we might find purpose, that we might have the assurance of eternal life. Friend, right now, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, I'm going to pray a prayer. I love it if you could pray this prayer along with me. Because if by faith you believe in Him today, He'll forgive you of your sin. You'll become a new creation. You don't have to live with the guilt and the shame of your past. You can know Jesus and you can have the assurance of eternal, eternity because there's more to this life than this life. So wherever you are right now, I believe God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's knocking right now. Question is, will you open it? Open your heart to Him and let Him come in. To live is to trust. There's no better person to trust than Jesus. So let's pray right now. If you wanna pray this prayer, you're making this decision, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. I open my heart and I ask you to come in. I acknowledge what you did on the cross paying the price of my freedom, how you died and you rose again, that I might become brand new. I give my heart to you. I put my trust in you. And I thank you, God, that you've got a plan and purpose for my life. Today I declare I am yours and you are mine. We pray this in your name. Amen, amen, amen.